Welcome, romance friends, to Confessions of a Closet Romantic, a podcast where I go on and on and on about my favorite romantic books, TV shows, and movies without embarrassment or shame, mostly. This is Poppy, and in this episode, Modernized Classics, Jane Austen Edition. rarely met an adaptation of a Jane Austen story that I haven't liked. A period dramedy about people finding love in pretty gowns and cravats, with good manners, tea and biscuits on a tray, frothy nightgowns and four-poster beds. Let me pull up a chair. Long ago, I mentioned one of my Favorite, most memorable college courses was a survey of 19th century British novels. It was taught by that professor that I had a little bit of a thing for. (laughs) Oh, he was adorable. I've never forgotten that course, and I still have some of the raggedy paperbacks that were assigned during that semester. So now this former literary snob is about to confess, shh. I prefer watching Austen to reading her because sometimes her stories are a bit too dense and wordy for my modern or current attention span. In some screen and book Austen adaptations or inspired buys or retellings, modernize and update the stories in such a way that's so fresh and original they are irresistible. I mentioned the book A Certain Appeal in my Learning from Romance Part 2 episode. This is a debut romance that imagines the main characters of Pride and Prejudice as the performers and investors in a New York burlesque club. Jane is Lizzie's roommate, a gay man who performs at the club. Now this does not feel tired at all. And best of all, we get Lizzie and Darcy in bed in this retelling. When I say the author modernizes the story, picture Darcy and Lizzie in a sexy and hot as hell, explicit enough to tell that they are having so much fun enjoying each other, in bed, sexing, in a hotel room, with body marks left on the huge skyscraper windows. Okay, (laughs) that's the kind of modernized I'm talking about. I asked author Vanessa King what made her decide to reimagine Pride and Prejudice. I read Pride and Prejudice the summer before my freshman year of high school, and I loved it. A few years later came Bridget Jones, which was a huge pop culture moment. And in college, I took a course titled Jane Austen and Film, where we read and watched all things Jane. So it tracks that when I was coming up with ideas for a writing project, and a friend mentioned she was working on a retelling, Pride and Prejudice was the first thing to come to mind. I'd been trying to craft a story where I could include my experience in burlesque, and Pride and Prejudice fit the bill. The Bennett household became a found family. Their financial woes, well, the struggle for any creative to make a living in New York City, as well as their club's potential sale. They're all part of a subculture that some dismiss as tawdry or as a certain Fitzwilliam Darcy might put it, inferior. 
That parallel to the source material was a jumping off point to much of the conflict in a certain appeal. And the root of the main characters is uh, romantic tension. And there's so many elements of Pride and Prejudice that are still relevant today. People meet, experience a degree of attraction, and pursue one another. Sources of conflict are the same. An overheard slight bruises the ego, misunderstandings arise through poor communication and assumptions, a little flattery here, some confirmation bias there, and suddenly we're trusting someone we shouldn't. There's also the enduring appeal of Darcy as a romantic hero. In Pride and Prejudice, Lizzie tears into him for being ungentlemanly and, frankly, a jerk. He takes her words to heart, reflecting on her points, and changes his behavior. And what's not to love about a man taking a woman's advice seriously? I love her. Isn't she wonderful? I hope I can have her back very soon. Sometimes I crave these classic Austin stories in a streamlined form, with quick witty banter intact, layered on some snappy action. The fact that these classic stories can survive that more modern pace shows how enduring and adaptable they are. The 2005 Pride and Prejudice movie with Matthew McFadden and Kira Knightley is a perfect example. This movie has the snappiest pace and dialogue with an electricity that brings the enemies-to-lovers trope at the heart of the story alive. I spoke with listener Mariah recently, who is so delightful, about this movie. She adores it. She's watched it many times, and it was one of her Austin gateways. It inspired her to actually go back to the Pride and Prejudice book and read it for the first time. She has so many interesting things to say about how this adaptation modernizes the original story. This is my question. When you, okay, so you fell in love with the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, if you can think back, when you read the book, did you mm-hmm. feel that the banter was like equally thrilling in the book or was it better for you in the movie? I think it's got an edge out in the movie. I think it's like you said, the editing is a little better for me, a modern listener. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a little more concise. Yeah. But I have to say, so I I the, I peeked at a few different spots in the book last week. And what, one of them was like the first chapter, like sort of where um, Mrs. Bennett is telling Mr. Bennett about the new person in town. Mm-hmm. I looked at the proposal, the first proposal. And I looked at the the last proposal. Uh huh. And I do think that it's re- it's pretty wit. Like mm-hmm. I think it's got a good repartee for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that might have been honestly the pe- like that could have been the height of it at the time. Yeah. Um, I do think this kind of gets to, and I don't know if I'm jumping subjects here, mm-hmm. but what you said about like the modernization of it, yeah, is I think the cool thing about modernization isn't that you're trying to like ruin the source material or you know change it and make it something else. I know a lot of people had that reaction. I did read the Wikipedia for Brian Prejudice last mm-hmm. night, mm-hmm. the 2005 version, and some people did not like it, <laughs> which I was shocked about. I'm like, no, oh, <laughs> I know. Some people thought it was too big a like diversion. They they thought that the stuff that was cut was not the right parts. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's going to have an opinion on that, and they're all they're all valid. But yeah. um, I felt like what it did was it took what was probably very very witty at the time, mm-hmm. and it translated it through time a little. It, so yeah. it it basically how do I put this? It, it's like 
if that were the peak of witty repartee in 1813, mm-hmm. then this is what it it it, yeah. it shows a modern reader what that would have felt like. Yeah, it still feels old. It's still they still use language you wouldn't necessarily use today. Right, but it is closer. We can understand it better. Yeah, because it's like it has this little bridge. It's a little bit closer to what we know and expect. She's not more handsome. Come on. Oh, but Lizzie will never admit that she's plain. <laughs> of course, it's my Jane who is considered the beauty of no, the Mama, county. Mama, when she was only 15, there was a gentleman so much in love with her that I was sure he would make her an offer. However, he did write her some very pretty verses. And that put pay to it. I wonder who first discovered the power of poetry in driving away love. <laughs> I thought the poetry was the food of love. Of a fine, stout love, it may. But if it is only a vague inclination, I'm convinced one poor sonnet will kill it stone dead. So what do you recommend to encourage affection? Dancing. Even if one's partner is barely tolerable. I was reading the the kind of background on Pride and Prejudice 2005. One yeah. of the things that Joe Wright, who is the director, mm-hmm. kind of referenced, um, which I was not surprised to, to learn, but like was very gratifying that I was right. Um, yeah, he had he had referenced um, rom coms. Like oh. modern rom-coms. And when I say modern, I mean like he the a specific two I think they listed were Breakfast Club and I think Sixteen Candles. Whoa. Yes. And he said he, he drew inspiration. That's all he said. I don't yeah. know that he like specifically tried to do an homage. Although if you think about the last scene of the movie, that is a very sixteen candles. How are you this evening, my dear? Very well. Only I wish you would not call me my dear. Why? Because it's what my father always calls my mother when he's cross about something. What endearments am I allowed? Well, let me think. Lizzie for every day, my pearl for Sundays, and goddess divine, but only on very special occasions. And what shall I call you when I'm cross? Mrs. Darcy? No. No. You may only call me Mrs. Darcy when you are completely and perfectly and incandescently happy. And how are you this evening, Mrs. Darcy? Mrs. Darcy. Mrs. Darcy. Mrs. Darcy. Mrs. Darcy. I don't even care. I don't care how inaccurate it was. Don't care. It was I, not in the book at all. It's like if you were going to just adapt this for a modern audience, that's yes. what we were waiting for. Yes. Right? Yeah, some, some like openness and tenderness because the thing is they've used that sort of wit back and forth yes. most mostly to be mean to each other in, yeah. in of course, the most sexy way. But yeah. I want to know in terms of modernization, what did you like, what did you feel was super modern about that particular 
um, oh, movie. So this one will be a little harder just because I don't have the reference at all of the books. I like, haven't read Emma. Yeah. Um, but what I, I think it draws some parallels because I felt, I, I the reason I think the, the story still resonates for like a modern watcher mm-hmm. is that um, it's just, it's about that growth of like being somewhat immature, um, being, you know, like thinking you kind of know everything. And yeah. I think Emma says at one point, like, I, I just realized how little I know or something like that. There's a scene where she's talking to Knightley right outside of that little ball and it's tor- kind of toward the end. And yeah. I think Knightley dances with her friend at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't know everyone's name, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm not as familiar with Emma, but yeah, it's outside. She just says she realizes how little she knows. And I can only say that at that moment you took her to the floor, I was proud to call you my friend. <laughs> the Eltons are unpardonable. I must say they aim at wounding more than just Harriet. They seem to want to snub you too, Emma. Why? Certainly, Mrs. Elton has no reason to dislike you. You confess now, old friend. You did want him to marry Harriet. I did, and they cannot forgive me. Oh, dear. How could I have made such a misjudgment? What is the point in me being almost 22 if there is still so much for me to learn? You know more than you realize. I know that I must own to you to be completely wrong about Mr. Elton. There is a littleness to him which you discovered that I did not. In return for your acknowledging so much, I say that you chose for him better than he chose for himself. (laughs) Harriet Smith has some first-rate qualities about her which Mrs. Elton is entirely without. Your friend surprised me. Most pleasant. Emma, dear, as a last dance, will you come and set the example for your companions? Gladly. Whom are you going to dance with? With you, if you will ask me. You have shown yourself a fine dancer, despite all your protests, and it should not be improper for us to dance. After all, we are not brother and sister. (laughs) Brother and sister? (laughs) No, no. I think it's there's a reason this was adapted really easily into Clueless because it is so suitable. Like I think there's always, you know, you try to you you think you know best, you have all of these ideas about how things should be run, like you you think you know one thing and then your whole world flips on its head, right? At some right. point, which God, is that not my favorite part of romance novels and your romantic stories is I love a story where your whole world gets flipped over on its head completely and you suddenly don't know which way is up. Can you tell we're having a lot of fun together? (laughs) There is nothing more fun than gushing with somebody about your favorite romance movies. I have always adored that 1996 Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow. It's described as a period comedy, which sounds stuffy, but it's modern and fresh. And I think mostly because of the casting and the direction. This is the one that has Tony Collette as Harriet Smith, Alan Cumming as Mr. Elton, and Jeremy Northam as Mr. Knightley. Ah, what a cast! And Gwyneth does a fantastic job as the well-intentioned but know-it-all busybody who ironically ends up knowing herself least of all. Obligations are there now. She cannot sit and talk with me in the old way or walk with me. 
urge me to better myself. Well, that should not matter, as you always did just as you please. <laughs> yes, but I shall miss her urging me. <laughs> she was as selfless a friend as I have ever had. And I hope to say someday I have done half as much for someone as Mrs. Weston did for me. You must be happy that she settled so well. Indeed. One matter of joy, and this is that I made the match myself. People said Mr. Weston would never marry again, and what a triumph. Triumph? You made a lucky guess. Have you never known the triumph of a lucky guess? Had I not promoted Mr. Weston's visits and given encouragement where encouragement was needed, we might not have had a wedding today. Then please, my dear, encourage no one else. Marriage is so disrupting to one's social circle. Only one more, Papa. When Mr. Elton joined their hands today, he looked very much as if he would like the same kind office performed for him. Mm. To me, this movie is a perfect combination of 19th century manners, costumes, and speaking styles, but they're set against really memorable scenes and set pieces like Emma and Mr. Knightley having their first serious argument while practicing archery on the lawn, landing bullseyes, of course, Knightley chasing Emma down to scold her after she's rude to Miss Bates at the picnic, and that stunning proposal on the path under the massive oak tree. I featured that scene in a past episode because it is so glorious. Emma... You want our friendship to remain the same as it has always been. But I cannot desire that. But why? I know I made mistakes, but had you been here the last few days, you would have seen how I have tried to change. Please, tell me I am your friend. I do not wish to call you my friend, because... I hope to call you something infinitely more dear. Have you not wondered why I never befriended Frank Churchill? It was because I knew he was intended for you. Indeed, when you insulted Miss Bates at the picnic, I thought that evidence of his influence over you. And I could not bear to see it. So I, I went away but I went to the wrong place. My brother's house is usually a place of comfort to me, but seeing your sister there kept you fresh in my mind. And the torture, I assure you, was acute. I only felt hope again when I heard of Mr. Churchill's engagement. I rushed back, anxious for your feelings, keen to be near you. I rode through the rain. I'd, I'd ride through worse than that if I could just hear your voice telling me that I might at least have some chance to win you. Mr. Knightley, if I have not spoken, it is because I am afraid I will awaken myself from this dream. It cannot be true. 
but I feel so full of error, so, so mistaken in my makeup to deserve you. What of my flaws? I've humbled you and I've, and I've lectured you and you have borne it as no one could have borne it. Maybe it is our imperfections which make us so perfect for one another. of the script of a good modernized classic is what does it for me. But a lot of times it's the direction, the actor's choices that update the story in subtle ways, like Sally Hawkins as Anne Elliot in 2007's Persuasion. Oh, have you all seen this version? I don't know why I hesitated to watch it. It looked drab in the stills, but it's anything but. In certain moments in this movie, usually when she's sitting down to write a letter, like the most old-fashioned task in the world, you hear Anne's voiceover interpreting the action as she glances directly into the camera. It's like Fleabag breaking the fourth wall and saying to the audience, do you see what I'm going through? Let me punctuate the scene with a glance, which is so in keeping with the era. Here's a little witty visual aside to mull over since it isn't seemly for me to say all of this out loud in my time and place. The worst is over. I have seen him. We have been once more in the same room. A bow, a curtsy. I heard his voice. And then was gone. He has not forgiven me. I have used him ill, deserted and disappointed him. And worse, shown a feebleness of character in doing so, which his own decided confident temper could not endure. Once there were no two hearts so open, no feelings so in harmony. Now we are strangers. Worse than strangers. For we may never become acquainted. Another emoter in this movie adaptation is Rupert Penry Jones as Captain Wentworth. His choices update and modernize this character's experience for me so well. Like no poker face here. It's all written in his expressions from the get-go. Unlike in the other adaptations where the captain is kind of shut down, he shows how agonized he's been over the years and continues to be over Anne's refusal of him. You can see that it still stings when he encounters her again. You know, we all wish Charles had married Anne instead. Anne? Oh, yes. Did you not know he wanted to marry Anne? No, I did not. Do you mean to say she refused him? Oh, yes, certainly. 
When did this happen? I do not exactly know. But before he married Mary. Did she say why she would not marry? Well, Papa always said it was her great friend Lady Russell's doing. He thought Charles might not be bookish enough to please Lady Russell. And so she persuaded Anne to refuse him. I myself would have no idea of being so easily persuaded. When I have made up my mind, I have made it. And I'm quite determined. Yours is a character I see of decision and firmness. And I honor it. And it builds up so much more romantic tension. Karen Hines, I love him, but he seems much more ambivalent, maybe even indifferent to Anne when he sees her again in that 1995 movie, Persuasion. But that is like my only complaint about that adaptation. I really love that one. But here are the choices I absolutely love in the 2007 Persuasion. When Anne reads the captain's letter confirming that his feelings are still the same, the camera tracks her running up and down the streets of Bath trying to find him so she can give him that confirming look that he was asking for in the letter. So running, out of breath, there is Sally Hawkins up and down the road, false starts and stops, hope and then disappointment. Where is he? A perfect symbol of the history of their entire relationship up until that point. So she finds him on the street as he finishes up a conversation with a friend, but his eyes never leave her face. After the friend finally leaves, she moves closer and closer to him, slowly stretching up to his height, her face turned up towards his like a sunflower reaching for the sun. As if that's not enough, a single tear runs down her cheek and her mouth opens and closes like a baby bird. He waits for her to come up to his face because he's asked her, are you sure this time? And Anne says, yes, this time I will not be persuaded against it. Her confidence about this is the thing that he's been waiting for. He knows that she has to choose it. Choose him. Oh, people, I sobbed like a baby watching Sally Hawkins play this scene. The camera never leaves her face in close-up as it reaches and reaches up to meet his. It has to be one of the most emotional and perfect kisses I've ever seen in a romantic movie. And let's not forget the two slightly older protagonists in this story finding love, which is absolutely refreshing. This adaptation will be featured in my upcoming episode on Love and Romance Over 40, Part 2, coming soon, and not a moment too soon. While I couldn't fit all of the modernized classics that I love in this episode, so look for Shakespeare, Cyrano, and mythological retellings in my next episode. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope you'll share this episode from your podcast app or follow me or tell a romance-loving friend about it. You can find me on Twitter at 
poppy underscore confesses. And you can find show notes with links to what I've been babbling about at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. Special thanks to all my new listeners in Brazil. Hi, romance lovers. And to my special guests, Vanessa and Mariah. You are awesome. Thank you so much. And to everyone, it is so nice to have your company. And until next time, may your life be filled with all of the Jane Austen style love and banter you crave.